don't refer to me as HR. Please refer to me by my name. The minute you use my name, you humanize me and that eases the energy in the room. And I had a leader after the fact reach out to me and he was on Teams and he said, I want to thank you for calling that out. I actually had to turn my camera off because I had tears in my eyes. It never occurred to me that us referring to you by your function maybe diminished who you are as a human. And I said, I appreciate you realizing that. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everyone out there, Podcast Nation. I've got a special episode in store for you today with Kim Blue, who is the Chief People Officer at Open Exchange. And in case you're not familiar with Open Exchange, it's based in Boston, Massachusetts, and fills an interesting niche as the global provider in video solutions for financial services and investor communications. Kim addresses in her career the needs of a diverse global virtual community, y'all, that has grown a hundredfold in size over the last 24 months, talking about a real deal leader and HR challenge. The theme of Kim's career is helping leaders align their passions, talents, and values for success. She's earned a reputation out there as a trusted advisor who knows how to motivate leaders to embrace growth and change, and who doesn't need that for themselves and their teams. She's also held leadership positions over at Zoom, Microsoft, and ESPN. That is the, I think you know it, trifecta. And then Kim holds a bachelor's degree from East Carolina University and a master's in organizational and organizational development from Queens University over in Charlotte. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, we're having a fun time today. So y'all, we were just, I mean, Kim was really explaining some cool stuff about HR, some things. I've been working with HR leaders for a long time, but Kim has already kind of broken me down in some new areas. So Kim, thank you for that. So let's you know what is your take on what HR really should be doing to be effective inside organizations? I think that that's a great opening question. And what's most important for me to convey is that HR is your partner, right? We are not all of those antiquated definitions that HR used to be. We're not personnel, right? We're not mm. just paper pushers. We're not the principal's office or the policy police. All of those are things that HR used to be, but as the workforce has evolved, as we've looked at the way that the generations in the workforce have grown, not only that, when we think about the new roles and jobs that exist that didn't exist 10, 15, 20 years ago, HR as a partner has had to evolve. And so it's time for leaders, and I say leaders because yep. the tone at the top is most important to really advocate for us as that critical strategic partner. Mm. Um, I once had an opportunity to do some really great work with um, a leader team that I, I worked with at Microsoft. And oftentimes, you, you know, when I step into the room, people joke and they say, oh, HR's here, cover your ears. But this particular <laughs> piece of work, right, was very personal to the mm. organization. And 
as I was taking them through things to think about, one of the leaders asked me, said, what can we do for you, Kim, to make sure that this is going to be um, important and meaningful and sets you up for success? And I said, I think the one thing that I will ask is that you humanize me and don't refer to me by my function when I walk into the room. The oh, minute- there's HR. Don't call you HR specifically. Exactly. Exactly. Because HR is what I do. Who I am is a mother, right? I'm a working woman. I'm, I'm a black woman, all of these things. But if you only refer to me by my function, it instantly creates separation there. And mm-hmm. now it's an us versus them. And people have their narratives about HR. What I'm asking you to say is, Kim's going to be with us through this process. Kim is going to be our thought partner alongside us. And then she'll bring in all of the resources and expertise from her area that are going to help make this journey better. Don't refer to me as HR. Please refer to me by my name. The minute you use my name, you humanize me. And that eases the energy in the room. And I had a leader after the fact reach out to me and he was on Teams. um, And he said, I want to thank you for calling that out. I actually had to turn my camera off because I had tears in my eyes. It never occurred to me that us referring to you by your function maybe diminished who you are as a human. And I said, I appreciate you realizing that. So I think it's incumbent upon leaders to just acknowledge your HR partner as a human first and knowing that they're on the journey with us. They don't want to inhibit us from doing anything. They want to make sure we can get where we're going successfully. Man, I love that so much. And it, it reminds me of another interview I did with the CEO of Duncan Brands, Nigel Travis. And um, he said, he talked about coaching his daughter's soccer team, which I coach my daughter's soccer team. And he said, you know, I never have them call me coach because anytime I put a title on something, it puts up a barrier also. Uh, and he talks about, you know, how they refer to him and his company and whatnot. But like what you're saying, when we call each other by our names, not our functions or our title, it opens up the human side. It opens up uh, probably more communication on, on both ends. And I love the fact that also my sense is that you, um, you're like a you said the word like business partner. It's like you're you're like we're focused on the bottom line. You happen to have an expertise in HR, but it doesn't mean you're just come carrying the HR flag wherever you go. Exactly. And I think so many people miss that. I think that's a lot of times while human resources doesn't always get invited to the uh, C-suite executive board table. They're kind of, they kind you know, they come in later when things went, when like problems emerge versus getting involved early. And I think what you're saying there too is really a great solution for leaders to listen to with HR or with anybody else in your company, start with the business approach first and the human side. And speaking of human side, now you talked about you being a resource to leaders, maybe give us a moment when your humanity came into play. Oh my goodness. So many, so many things. You you look at the way the world is, and you have human moments, I often find that I'm reminding people that I am a human. And so the things that we see in the news or the things that we hear affect me just as much as they do 
others. I'll actually tell you a fairly funny human moment that I had. So early in my career, when I worked at ESPN, I just started in HR and was so used to being behind the scenes with a lot of my colleagues and friends in the studios and watching the show prep. And, you know, they would bring in athletes and musicians, anyone who was joining whatever platform we had that day. And so it was not uncommon, you know, to be in the cafeteria and see someone or walking through the hallways and see someone. And this particular day, I was walking through the hallways as normal and saw a friend of mine who worked in um, the talent producer office, which is the group that helps make sure that the guests get where they need to be and sort of supports them for the day. Um, and he was bringing through this particular guest who was a musician. And I was a huge fan of this musician, like just who was who the musician? Okay, so, so, uh, so, so for everybody out there, another human moment, right? I'm a huge fan of rap music and hip hop. I love it. It's just culture. Um, and so there's a rapper. He's from DC. His name is Wale. Just a great, great lyricist, just poetic, but mm, just gets cool. it right. Just makes good music. Mm. And um, so while I was going to be a guest that day on some of ESPN's shows and a friend of mine <clears throat> was hosting him and I just happened to see him in the hallway and I literally froze in my tracks. Now, let me be clear. I'm not normally who's someone who's like starstruck. I see folks all the time. I see commercials being shot. I see athletes coming through, coaches, just everybody, entertainers. But I rounded that corner and was not expecting it and literally like hid behind a wall. And my friend was like, you know, Kip Kabir. Like, he knew that I was a fan. And I was like, no. I can see like, on your frozen. face. Yes. I was I'm like, no. Out. Right. Freaking out. And he was like, come over here. And I was like, just tell him I'm a fan and I'm just going to stand over here and let you go. And he was like, this is your opportunity. Like, I want you to meet. Eventually I got out of my own way and I did. He did introduce me. He was very kind. Right. And I'm sure he doesn't even remember it if he ever hears this. But it was just a whole moment where I was just like, wow, you know, just so starstruck that someone whose music that I listen to and, and music is a connector, right? Mm -hmm. Across um, people among, you know, a few others that I can talk about later in, the, in our conversation. But so for me to have that connection to someone who makes music, which I think is just a global connector anyway, it was just such a cool moment. But if you could have seen me standing to the side, like not wanting to be seen, not wanting to be acknowledged, mm -hmm. absolutely wanting to play the back, it was a total human moment, shy, just no, just hiding. Yeah. And yeah. that's not who I am at all. Yeah. And so, so many things going on right there. One, we know what a great story. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I also think you're really exhibiting something really, uh, a, a powerful instrument that senior executives can use with their teams and employees to build connection, which is vulnerability and say, Hey, you know, um, I kind of freaked out in this moment when I saw this celebrity, because you're executives are kind of like the celebrities of their companies. I can remember times working for companies where I wouldn't even meet the, you know, the CEO until like, I'll see him in the hall and he's like, Oh my gosh, there's David Hi. Cody. Who's actually ended up being my second guest <laughs> on the podcast here. Right. And if you listen to that, even though I've known David for a while, I was starstruck <laughs> in that interview, but it's so nice to have a senior executive, you know, share that moment. And the other thing you said was music is a connector. How important is it to have these, these connection devices uh, at your disposal? The, the, the connectors, the and I'm, I refer to them as global connectors, hmm. but they are so important because 
they help us remember that we are all human and that on any day, Ben, we are more alike than we are different, right? There are five main global connectors, and this is just my personal one as, as I've lived life cool. and experience, right? Nobody's, I've not read this in a book or anything, um, but there are five connectors on the planet that I think all bring people together. That's food, music, technology, sports, and death. Right. And death is a little morbid, so I don't spend too much time there. But it unfortunately, it is something that <laughs> well, brings people together. Dying is right? part of living, y'all. It is. So it is. It we is. don't get into death a lot. I would love to talk about death on Friday. <laughs> uh, right. but-, <laughs> but, but, but the first four, right? And they overlap. Think about being at yeah, a sporting right. event and, and eating so what's and the, food, right? So I am intrigued and I'm fired up about this because uh, <laughs> I love connecting like we're connecting right now. Mm-hmm. Um why why do leaders need to know about global connectors? Oh my goodness, because that's the way you build relationships. Relationships are foundational to mm. conversation. Oftentimes you need to know what am I connecting with someone on so they can truly see you. Because you come to these conversations, it's like you said, you're so starstruck or you've already got your narrative created about what this person is or what it's about. But mm-hmm. if you find that point of connection with them, now it breaks down some of those preconceived notions and it opens the pathway for innovation, for conversation, Yes, for anything that is forward facing that we want to get towards, as opposed to just sort of staying in our boxes, right? I'm the CFO, I'm the CEO, I'm the vice president of this and talking to someone as opposed to saying, I'm a soccer mom. I am um, a sports fan, right? I am a foodie or travel is my jam or whatever the case. Now you're connecting with someone on a different level and it invites in things naturally into the conversation. So I think leaders being vulnerable enough to open up about who they are and leveraging some of those connectors. This is a great way. It's a, it's a model that is wildly underutilized is what I would say. Yeah. So for leaders, so you said, and I wrote these down. So food, music, tech, sports and death. So these are, these are, this is a playbook for leaders to go and apply. And I think, you know, if I'm a leader sitting there, um, how would you, who were like, you know, Hey, this makes a lot of sense. I would love to be able to have some go-to ways to connect with my team because frankly, can you, it's, you're making a lot. it, It is hard to lead a team that you're not connected with. Absolutely. And so, what's a process or what's some advice you would have for them to apply this? Great question. I say, start with simple conversation. So it talk, you know, it takes time to just form relationships with people, but it's also being vulnerable enough to say, I have five questions that are important to me. I want to know this about my team, because these are the things that on our best days, we're going to bond over And on days that are not so great, right, that we're going to need to support each other through. And so I asked them, I mean, what what are the hard and fast boundaries that, you know, you have? Um, Are there things that are super important to you, right? What's your favorite food? What's your favorite color? I just want to understand some very basic things. And the art of conversation, which has been challenging to a degree in this pandemic because, while you're trying to have that conversation, you also have life happening two feet away from you. And, you know, so you have to kind of get back to that water cooler talk, except it now needs to be 
over this platform? How do we do yeah. that virtually? And Sometimes way more it, intentional too. Like you, yes. if you just leave it, like you say, like a water cooler, like all of a sudden that, that, that clicked for me because yeah, when the water cooler not there, you've got to really take, you got to create that conversation with so much intention. And y'all, in case you miss Kim's resume, she used to work at Zoom. <laughs> so she knows right. a thing or two about this. Right. And you have to say, if we would get together for a team lunch, we're still going to get together for a team lunch. It's just going to be over Zoom. And so I did this recently with my new team, right? I, I said, I've been here a hundred days, right? I gifted everybody, you know, an Uber Eats gift card. And I said, Nice. On lunch on me. And we're going to take this afternoon. And if we were having lunch, this is what we do. And we spent the first hour. To, I, I literally said, so what does everybody have to eat? Where did you order your food from? And we talked about food and cool places that we got it from and why we liked that. And then that naturally evolved into, oh, well, I'm from Wisconsin and I'm a cheese head or, oh, cheese is my favorite thing. Oh, well, do you pay your cheese with wine? I mean, and it just evolved into that. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about work at all. Because if we were in a real cafeteria, if I was really taking them out to lunch, that's exactly what we wanted to do. And I needed to replicate that connection, even if it's virtual. That's what leaders need to do. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download the simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. So, so a couple of things. One is you're introducing it with intention. And I love that, that, that specific example you gave of getting them to Uber Eats and you're talking about lunch. They, I mean, what a great time to talk about food when you're getting them lunch and and you're having that chat. Um, and I love what you said about opening it up as a connector, maybe in your staff meetings, understanding what the boundaries are, what things want to, people want to talk about and what they don't. So you don't feel like you're prying as a leader. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about death because that's just sure. too good not to mm-hmm. talk about now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> food, music, tech, sports. I, I love talking about literally every single one of those. Death is un, more uncomfortable to talk about at work, yet it is a common human experience. Absolutely. We have families that deal with it. We have friends. We deal with it in the workplace. And so what's a time when death came into play when uh, it was a helpful connection device? Yes. Um, thank you. So when... I was working at ESPN, um, and this was probably maybe four years ago now, coming up on five years ago. Um, My father was very sick. He was towards the end of his life, and I had actually been caring for him in partnership with my family for the better part of a year, and so we knew that this was coming, and I had not really been too open about it with people. I just sort of said, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. leaning in to provide care for my father. I need to be mindful about my schedule and just making sure that I'm not foregoing some of my responsibilities. Well, ultimately he got really sick and um, I absolutely just said to my leader then who just, he's amazing. um, I just said, I need to pull out of the work because we're getting to the point now where 
Um, it could be any day. And sure enough, like two days later, um, you know, he passed away. And I remember coming back from that experience, right? I was out on bereavement and just being surrounded by so many people who said to me, I can't imagine what it was like to lose a parent. I was in my thirties at the time, right? I can't imagine what it's like to lose a parent so young. You're, you're young and your parent is young. And it opened up so much conversation mm. for me with other people who had lost a parent, who had lost it to cancer. And my father had cancer, yes. right? And who had lost yes. it to cancer, who also um, didn't feel comfortable balancing the work and the life and watched me do it. And then watched me absolutely say the work has to stay where it is because the life is the priority. And people saying mm -hmm. to me, I found empowerment and now saying I can do the same thing because I watched you do it and make a choice with no regrets and be intentional about it. So there's a lot that goes into modeling the behavior as a leader, right? Modeling the behavior you want other people to demonstrate. Yes. But then also being completely vulnerable because death leaves you that way. It leaves you exposed. It leaves you vulnerable and grief and healing does not look the same for everyone. And so you just have to submit to that. And I was very open about that. Once it happened, not only did, did I do that, I encouraged people more and more to take advantage of their benefits. So many people don't mm. look into things like EAP, what, you know, bereavement care, grief counseling and support. Those benefits are there for employees to take advantage of. And I really, even now, right, I speak it, you know, you know, look into EAP, look into all of these things. Have you checked in our benefits to see what's out there? Because so many people forego their self-care and I literally lived through that. And decided that I was never going to not go to the gym or, you know, invest in therapy or meditation apps, whatever it was that I needed, because that was all a part of me. And those were the things that helped people see me and be like, I didn't know really that I didn't feel like I could do it. And I saw you do it. And now I'm taking advantage of it. It was walking, a huge point yeah, of exposure. Walking yes. the talk as a leader great on that it's so it can be hard to do yes uh but uh you know i commend you on that and thank you for sharing that sharing that very vulnerable and personal story you know uh, about how you handled the death of your father it reminds me we had one other ceo who went there on, on one of our his names uh hasselver hogg who's the uh, chief transformation officer former president of uh, db shanker here in the u.s now he's over the light like in a global executive role but he shared what a huge uh um positive moment in his career was when he needed to take time off to take care of his dad in his in his in his remaining days and the whole company was supportive and it just triggered this positive response because other people start to think well hey if if the if the if the chief executive's doing that then it's okay for me to do that. And by the way, that's, that's a place, that's the kind of place I want to work out. Absolutely. Yeah, and and it's in, uh, it's in other communities too. So I was in graduate school at the time, my grad school community, my professors, my classmates who basically said, we, we got you go be where you need to be just <sighs> beautiful. Tremendous. So let's, let's take it one step further. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about the catastrophic cost of turnover and our research shows that that can cost organizations over $235,000 per employee per year. So it adds up. It goes beyond just the cost of rehiring and retraining. Uh, your, 
you, I guess a couple of questions, but the first one I have is, do you think this is a cost that organizations should be tracking? Yes, absolutely. You know, we track every other cost so closely, um, but the cost of employee health productivity, there's a relationship there and a, cor- a correlation that I don't mm-hmm. think we often explore. Um, or maybe it's because from an analytics standpoint, it's a little less clear to define why we should track it or how that ties into ROI. But I think ultimately it tells a story, like it's almost telling the story of culture. Like this is what it costs to maintain your culture. And if you don't invest in it, or if we don't understand that, then we're going to continue to have these repeat costs. And not only are we going to have them, they're going to go up as we figure out the person that the, the work that this particular person or this role was doing today is going to look tremendously different one year from now, and it's going to cost us more to evolve it. So yes, those are analytics that are absolutely critical to the bottom line when we talk about overhead, right? We all know people costs are the things that, you know, cost the most at organizations. And so why wouldn't we? Yeah, I love that quote, turnover, employee turnover tells the story of culture. I was like, whoa, that's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it really does. It does. Uh, It tells what's happening. Uh, and, that, and I think, you know, tying it back to what you said around the five connectors, I love to be able to equip the listeners with ways to reduce turnover and to increase engagement. And that's a really practical thing that they can be using to help build that connection. And if you're more connected with your team, they're going to be more likely to stick around and stay engaged or at least yes. communicate early on, I suspect, if they're thinking about leaving it. Have you found it to be the case for yourself? Yes. And what I find is that those connectors create that psychological safety that people need to either invite in a speak up culture um, Mm. or find a way to say, I want to talk about something, but I don't think I have all of the words and maybe I'm asking for some help. Um, or to say to someone, hey, you do this really well, or hey, can we have lunch? Let me take you back to this environment where I know I'm safe, and then I can replicate that so I can speak freely about what's on my mind. That allows you know, mitigation of so many things, you know, risk, it, it creates clarity. Now we can get into problem solving or figuring out, all right, well, what can we do differently to make sure that this changes for you so that you want to be here, right? The, the adage that people leave companies and I mean, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. It's so true. But if you're not connecting with your folks, what reason are you giving them to stay outside of just compensation and benefits, which in theory you can go get anywhere? Yeah, that that's basic sales too. Like don't <laughs> compete on the commodity for getting the sales. Yes, right. If they're, like you're competing on salary, then they'll leave the next week and then come back. It's just, yeah, it's, the, the end game of competing on salary isn't uh, usually that positive for the employer. No, <laughs> maybe maybe it is. All. I think for this, not for the employee either eventually. Oh my goodness. So, so let's, Let's dive into uh, when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? My goodness. Fail, I mean, so I would say that failure is the vehicle for redirection. And that's been the case in my life. Um, right after my dad passed away, I made the decision that I wanted to begin to 
look outside of my current employer. And at the time I was at ESPN. So if ESPN folks are listening, this is me being vulnerable, but I think I was, I'd grown up there, (laughs) right? Again, right. I'd grown up there and I just kind of wanted to know what else was out there and, and how I could evolve. I was an HR business partner at the time and I wanted to just learn more and do more. And so I started looking, but I did not intend to leave Charlotte. I was in Charlotte at the time, Charlotte, North Carolina. And so I was looking for roles there because I, you know, family was close by, lovely homes, good community, just no reason to leave. And started on that journey probably in, I'd say, January of maybe 2018. And for six months applied to jobs and got consistently rejected for all of them. I mean, I looked the other day, I've got screenshots of rejection letters. I mean, from so many companies saying you were great, but we're looking for something else, you know, whatever. So the you were screenshotting I did. your I saved rejection them. letters. I did. I Just wanted for to motivation? Save I saved them because I, because I knew when I got where I was going, I wanted to look back and say, but I put in the work. I put in the work. Ooh. Right. I had my nose yeah. and the, all, every no is going to lead to a yes. So mm-hmm. I was six months in, it was maybe May or June. And I just said, all right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop applying. I'm going to take the summer off. I'm going to focus on me, spend some time with the family. And then, you know, I'll try again in the fall before the holidays and maybe something will come to bear. And it did. The minute I stopped, I mean, and that failure for me led to rejection because I was also limiting myself. I did not want to leave Charlotte. And I just decided that I was going to stop aligning to that mindset. And the minute I did, Microsoft reached out and said, would you be open to having a conversation for a role that is based in Seattle? And I immediately felt the fear, but I thought, (laughs) okay, I said I was going to. Yeah, we hear that Southern accent popping in every once in a while. Yes, yes. That you've got. So you're like, Seattle, huh? When, when I'm in my head, my, my Southern euphemisms come out. My yeah. aunts would be very I grew up in Alabama, so mine come out oh, plenty too. So you, you get it. You get it. <laughs> so I remember thinking, whew, I don't know. Huh. I don't know about this one. But I said yes. I said yes to myself uh, because I had rejection after rejection. And I was I hadn't, you know, hadn't grown in my current role then in terms of promotion or opportunity. Complexity, yes. But actual career development and upward mobility, no. And then Microsoft happened. Mm. And I said yes to a conversation. And then that led to um, an invitation to join. And then I said yes to relocating to Seattle. And I did it all scared. I was scared every step of the way, but I did not stop saying yes. And all of those yeses led me to Seattle, which led me back to Atlanta, which then led me to Zoom, which led me to Open Exchange. And every single one was a was a bigger lily pad that I was jumping to. Wow. All failure. That's, that's cool. So it's that, I just love how you're so focused. You're like, I'm going to memorialize these, (laughs) these rejections. These are going to go in my book that I'm going to write. Probably conquer the world. (laughs) So that, no, that's, that's great. And so I think one of the questions that's going to come up uh, with listeners is Kim is so persistent. What the heck is she reading? Who's she hanging out with? Yeah. Like what? I mean, so maybe it's, you know, we could go back to your childhood and say, your parents instill this in you or, or, or what have been some of the key, what it could be like a, 
it could be music podcasts, people, organizations, maybe like the top two or three things that you think really helped you sort of instill in you this, this uh, vision for possibility for career and the tenacity to keep going. Yes. So definitely my parents, um, my mom, my parents had wildly different upbringings. Mm -hmm. Um, and I say that to people all the time. They both grew up sort of during the, um, you know, during a time when there was, you know, not full equality for, for humans, right. And people, um, Mm. my mom definitely would say to me, always make sure you can take care of things on your own in case life sends you in a direction you're not anticipating. My dad would always tell me, you know, build the relationships, get to know people, go to the places where you can get the information you need that's going to help you because you're already smart. You just need to know how to get to the places and navigate that. So they both Mm -hmm. had their lessons um, with me early and then kind of just stopped. They also both said, don't be afraid of failure. So when I was an undergrad, I failed genetics. So it's genetics, right? So it's a hard class. Um, and I remember calling my parents, right. G- genetics, right. Uh, like human DNA. And I remember calling my parents and saying, I failed genetics. I was a sophomore at ECU. And I remember my dad being like, well, f- finally. <laughs> and I was like, what is it? He said, your well, mother, and I've been- right. Right. He good. said, your mother and I've been waiting your whole life for you to not be good at something. Now go take the class over again. Oh, and awesome. I did, I got to be, awesome. you know, but, but, but not necessarily, but, but you're so afraid of it, you know? So they just instilled in me that like, it's okay. Like you could keep working at it mm-hmm. till you get it. You can also redirect and that's things. So I think my parents, um, you know, I have a professor in graduate school who just has been wildly supportive of me ever since that, ever since he's known me, even from the very first day that I met him in class, he has been supportive of me and I've been out of graduate school now for three years, but, um, Everything that he and my graduate school community taught me has been foundational in me becoming the leader that I am and adopting my philosophy. Um, And, you know, when I talk about organizational development, my focus is in leadership development, change management and, and coaching. Those are my things. That's that's what I'm good at, which is what makes me a good HR leader. Um, But that community allowed me to put the oxygen on myself in a way that I never had. And now it is in, it's a part of my personal blueprint that I, I, I live by every day. And then I think the books that I'm reading right now, I'm reading, I'm sort of hopping around. So I'm reading Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart. Um, I used to work for Microsoft. So I'm actually rereading Hit Refresh by Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft. I just, I think Satya is a great CEO. He just, hmm gets it. He's an engineer, but he's a person and he's got a great vision around how he wants to lead that organization. Um, You know, and then I I spend a lot of time just sort of reading books about, you know, myself. Um, And so I'm reading a book right now that is um, by Minda Hartz and I'm rereading the memo. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Minda Hartz fan. I think she's just so thoughtful and eloquent. And she really defines bridging the gap between women of color in the workplace and Mm. how we need to show up, but how we also need to be received by everybody who is a non-person of color. And she just writes about it and she makes it so comfortable while keeping it real because 
it's still real, right? The, my lived experience is not your lived experience, babe, but you need to understand that in order to connect with yeah. me and to meet me where I am. So those are the books that I'm reading right now. Yeah. Th- thank you for sharing that and, and sharing that about your parents and that professor. Uh, so you mentioned bridging the gap and it, it, I just think about the, uh, you know, people and from groups, you know, leaders from underrepresented groups in the, in the C-suite and they want to get there. And what's your advice for them? Like if they find themselves in this spot where they're having problems bridging the gap, which a lot of them, you know, a lot of people are, but especially in underrepresented groups, where should they start? Yeah. You know, I think this goes a little bit to my personal blueprint. I tell everybody that you have to start with your values. What do you value, Hmm. right? Who are you? What are you looking for? Because those values also can become a connector sometimes when you think about that. What do we value as a company? What are we looking for in a person? And then the other piece is you have to come to terms with your bias. There is bias there. And you have to be comfortable speaking that and saying, I've got these biases that may be showing up in the way that I influence decisions around hiring, around pipelining, around even bringing in diversity, you know, And I need to shift that bias and open myself up to inclusion because inclusion is really the conversation. We could talk about diversity all day, but it's really inclusion. And and Hmm. the analogy I give around that is inclusion is the ocean, right? Diversity is the beach. The sand has a definitive stop and in place. We know that it's going to meet the water. It's going to meet the, you know, the concrete and on the beach somewhere, but inclusion is the ocean. Past a certain point in the ocean, no sunlight breaks through, but there's still life in the ocean, in the dark. And if we're comfortable enough to go swimming down there, we can discover some amazing things, right? So where our bias meets our inclusion is opportunity. And the minute we bring ourselves to that and we're willing to hold our own mirror, then we can start advancing the agenda around creating an inclusive C-suite and being open to that, right? One of the things that my current leader said, and I'm going to say this in the spirit of knowing that he would support it is, Kim, and the things that I support you on, I don't ever want anyone to think that you're here or I hired you simply because you're a black woman. And I said to him, everybody's going to think that. So you need to start getting comfortable with that no matter what. Now, what you can trust is that when I open my mouth, they're going to have a completely different understanding of who I am. And they're going to be like, oh, she's here because she's legit. And I'm totally comfortable walking in my dopeness and being humble about my role and my opportunity at the same time. Mm. Right. So you're, I just got a huge chill. <laughs> you, so, you know, I go back, there are a lot of comments I could make think thoughts about that spinning in my head right now, but it goes, I, I think about how you brought in your, your connection tools. So that dialogue with your, CEO could even take place where mm-hmm. you could have that honest concern conversation mm-hmm. and you just know where each other stands. And it seems like you're both holding each other in a lot of care and support and wanting to create an environment that that's positive for you both to grow in. So yes. I just virtual high five big time. Thank that. you. Thank Tim, you. Um, that's it today. I mean, I, I've got about 10, other, <laughs> 10 more questions that I wrote down in addition to the ones that I already had that we didn't get to. So maybe we can do this again, but it, 
what's your what's your parting thought here? Uh, My parting thought is that everybody should be the boss of their own blueprint every single day. It means that you you own whatever it is that you need. If you need to get access to knowledge, resources, people, anything, right? Go do it, whatever that is. But you are the boss of your own blueprint, period. All right, everybody, you heard it. You're the boss. Go get it. Thanks, Kim. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.